Uh, we're in middle of our Growing Deep uh, kind of year-long series here, um, talking about discipleship. And the outcome, the goal of talking about discipleship is that we want to be people who, as Jesus invites us, to live freely and lightly, to go through this life, to be present with God, so present with Him that the burdens and the things that we might otherwise take on as we go through life, that, that we don't bear ourselves down and weigh ourselves down, but instead we take on His invitation to have that abundant life that allows us to live freely, just unfettered, just, just as though the, the weights are coming off and and we're living just so freely in His presence that we're, we're not caught up in, in the drama of this world, that maybe is a good way to say it. And we're just, we're very present with the people around us. We're active and, and we're bringing hope and the redemptive work of Christ to this world. But we're also free. We're free in the way that Jesus has made us to be free. And we're living light. The, the, the burdens that would otherwise weigh us down, we're rolling them over to Him and, and we're, we're living lightly in His presence. And so that's that's the goal. That's the desire. And, and that's going to be a lifelong goal, right? That's Discipleship doesn't just happen through a course. It's not a, a, a five-week or ten-week course that you finish and now, you know, whammo presto, you're a disciple. You know, abracadabra, you're a disciple. It's, there's, there's no great thing that we just say or do and all of a sudden we are completely done with discipleship. We make a decision which helps us come into the family of God. We say yes to the offer of Jesus Christ. His life for my life, his sacrifice on the cross is, a, is good enough to cover my sin so that I can know him and I can be in relationship with the Father then. So we make that decision and that's our first step of following Jesus. And then it's a lifelong until we're with him face to face of continuing to follow him and pursuing him. And so this discipleship and this goal to be free and light and to live free and light, it's, it's ongoing. But what I've noticed in, in my own experience and, and coming to Christ when 1986, uh, 85, late 85, and uh, in high school, I noticed that it just seems like different seasons of life. It was really challenging and it's just so difficult for me to work through it. But I've noticed the longer I've walked with Jesus the more I've seen some of those things fall off. And the more of the, the life that I was presenting or creating for myself falling away, and the more that I'm able to live more in His presence on a regular basis. It seems like, not that it's easy, but it's easier. The more that I'm doing it, the more that I'm living it. And so that's the desire that, that we grow in this, we disciple in this following of Jesus. We're taking time uh, over these couple weeks to talk about passionate marriage and singleness. And we believe that God calls us to both. Uh, We have all been single (laughs) and some are married. And so it's this value that we have that, that we are to influence the world, not in spite of our role, single or married, but through our role that God has called us to, that both of these singleness, a passionate singleness, a passionate marriage, both of these are callings through which God ministers out of our life. And and so instead of uh, this idea that the world is turning to, this idea of just coupling or being a couple, 
and they're moving away. You don't hear it as often in the culture. You don't hear the language of marriage. You don't hear marriage talked about on television or presented on commercials. And they're starting to shy away from this word of, of marriage so that they can focus more on couple because couple can be more generic and it can address a, a myriad of different lifestyles. And so as to not to offend anyone or not to uh, create divisions among people or, or create any type of controversy, uh, they tend to move towards a couple instead of, of marriage. But the scriptures don't present it that way. And we, we live our lives as followers of Christ. We live our lives not through the cultural influence coming into the church, but through the church and the love of God and the word of God flowing out of the church and being a prophetic voice in the world around us. And so we do talk about marriage. We, we place a high value on marriage and the role that it has. Now, the difficulty that I talked about last week is that there, there's no possible way that in the short times that I have each Sunday or even through the period of a series of messages, address every circumstance of every individual uh, within this room or that might be outside of this room. And so within that, it can feel like when I present what God's Word says and I address an issue or an area out of it, the enemy often wants to take things that are in God's Word and then use them in in such a way as to bring about guilt and condemnation. Now, guilt can be useful if it motivates us towards something we can repent and change and draw closer to God about. Guilt is not useful when all it's used for is for condemnation and accusation. When guilt is used towards shaming and condemnation and accusation, that comes from not God, the Father, but it comes from the enemy, Satan. He's known as the father of lies, and another word for him in the scriptures is the accuser. So I want to preface any message about marriage because of the cultural influence and the difficulties and challenges that exist within every life related to marriage, you, you may have different circumstance than what Scripture identifies. You, scripture sets an ideal, sets a very high mark, a very high bar for marriage because, in fact, in one point, it says God hates divorce. But in our culture where it's half of or, or more marriages end in divorce, what that statement can feel to many folks is, well, God hates me then because I was divorced or I have been divorced or I'm going through a divorce. So God hates me. And that's not true. God does not hate you. He does not hate your spouse, or your ex-spouse. God does not. God hates. The reason it talks about divorce having this this point where God does not like it so much that it's listed as God hates it is because God's ideal for marriage is a picture of his love for us. God's ideal for marriage is a union that models for us God's love and the way he interacts with us. And so when we introduce divorce into that, the brokenness, it no longer serves that same purpose because God does not divorce us. Because God does not separate or pull himself, disassociate from us. God pursues us, and he's always wanting reconciliation to bring us close. And so divorce causes marriage to stop being an example of God's love for us, but it no longer holds true in the same way that 
God loves us or pursues us. So I bring that up at the front end of this message because we're going to talk about passionate marriage this morning and how it's an example of our, or it's used for, it's a calling through which God provides our gospel witness. But please, 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 please hear me in this, that I recognize that, that there are divorced people within our congregation, people who have experienced divorce. God does not hate you. And, and you are not called into a position of shame and lesser than because you went through that. Not at all. It's a recognition that as much as you wouldn't want that marriage to have ended in divorce, God didn't want that marriage to end in divorce. But God is a God of redemption and new opportunities and new hope and forgiveness. And so we can come together today and say, even if you're... you're Marriage didn't result in the ideal of having a high example of God's love for us, that God still loves you and God has forgiven you and he's forgiven your, your spouse if they've asked for it and, and there's an opportunity to go forward under the redemptive work of Christ. Okay, so last week I presented the idea that both marriage and singleness are callings through which we serve Christ. So we have these four callings. We're called to love Jesus Christ first. He's our primary calling to be a disciple, to, to be a lover of Jesus. We're called to loving relationships. So we're called to, if we're married, that's our spouse. If we're single, it's our other relationships that we have. It can be family and, and close friends. We're called to these loving relationships that model the love of Christ. We're called to love our neighbors. So others in our community and, and our coworkers, we're called as a missionary or as an ambassador of Christ to love others. And then we're called to fulfill a role. We're called to do something for Jesus. So the, the challenge that sometimes we get into is that we elevate the call to do something above these first three callings. And as I list them out, again, they are in, in order of importance, called to love Jesus, called to a loving relationship, a spouse or other significant relationships. If we're single, we're called to love others, our neighbors and our coworkers. And then we're called to fulfill a role. So if we ever get it to a place where we're called to do something great for Jesus at the sacrifice of all these other callings of loving relationships, we've got it reversed. We've sacrificed people for the sake of a doing something, and God wouldn't call us to do that. We minister out of these other callings, our calling of marriage or singleness. So marriage is a calling, singleness is a calling, and, and what I highlighted was whether single or married, we bless others through that calling, not in spite of it. We bless others through our marriage, not in spite of it. We bless others through our singleness, not in spite of being single. And it's interesting, isn't it, that when, when you are in a particular role, one of those, married or single, you tend to think that it's your limitation that's keeping you from really serving Jesus. <laughs> if you're single, you say, man, if I was just married, I could really serve God. I could team up with somebody and we could really do great things for God. And so being single is, is keeping me from really fulfilling what God wants for me. And then I've heard married people tell me, you know, if I wasn't married, I would just go be a missionary over here and do whatever I wanted. But because I'm married, you know, I got to work through that and, you know, got to, 
I got to give up that calling because I'm sacrificing for my spouse. And, you know, what a great servant you are giving up so much. And that really, no, that's, that's tends to happen though. People, people think it's my singleness is keeping me from serving Jesus. My marriage is keeping me from fully serving Jesus. No, it's out of these callings, these, these more primary callings that then we bless other people. So our calling is to not a thing. It's first to Jesus, then to my marriage or significant relationships if I'm, if I'm single. Well, today we're going to spend some time looking at how marriage is a gospel witness. How marriage is a gospel witness. It seems like, isn't that just a relationship that two people chose each other? And so then it's, we're just, you know, living out our life and maybe having kids if, if we're able and and uh, it's just about our relationship. No, you're, you're, if you're married, your marriage is a gospel witness. In fact, apart from just your own personal testimony and love relationship to Jesus Christ, your marriage is your second greatest gospel witness. If you're married, your marriage is your second greatest gospel witness apart from your relationship uh, to Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to be speaking about marriage, but if you're single... Please don't tune out and say, oh, this is just for the married people. No, this, this is a good opportunity for you to hear what a marriage, how it should reflect the relationship with Jesus Christ and be that gospel witness. And uh, I, I think there's things that for both marrieds and singles, because it comes out of Scripture and it helps us identify that, that relationship. Also, if God leads you into a marriage relationship at some point. Uh, it would be helpful to see this and, and understand this as well. Uh, if you remain devoted to Christ in your singleness, it helps you understand how Jesus relates to us in a similar way as a husband and wife do to one another. So let's pray as we go to the scriptures. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We present ourselves before you, Lord, to, uh, to ask you to speak to us. Holy Spirit, we are reminded weekly that you are our teacher. Uh, Lord, my purpose is to bring the scriptures, to deliver what you have provided to me. But Father, we, there, is, there is common ground, common agreement that you are the teacher. And so I pray that you would give divine insight and understanding to what is spoken this morning through your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will guard hearts and minds against condemnation and accusation, that, Lord, we, you would raise us above that to the point where we can hear from you and that we can receive from your word this morning. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I, I spoke, uh, just referenced a scripture out of Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. I want to begin with uh, that same passage. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. So this is God's ideal. We begin in the Old Testament. We begin with the Bible. We, we start out in Genesis with God speaking about his ideal for the marriage relationship. Very very simple in these two verses, it outlines these things. His ideal for Adam and Eve, that they would leave, so family of origin, Adam, they're going to leave their family of origin, they're going to hold fast or unite to one another, 
and create a new family out of this union. And then they're going to, they have this mission of becoming one flesh. So they're going to leave this family of origin. They're going to unite to create a new family. And then they're going to become one flesh. This is their mission is, you know, this, this reality that as they unite, they're one flesh spiritually, but similar to our discipleship and our walk with Jesus, it takes a long time for a couple to really become one flesh, to model that. It takes a while for that leaving of the family of origin to kind of work its way out and for individuals to say, what do I want to bring with me from my family? What do I want to really leave behind? What is my own personal experiences? What am I bringing to this relationship? What is my spouse bringing to this relationship? And we're becoming one together. So the one is instantaneous uh, by the exchanging of vows and the union in Christ. But the one is also a become one. They shall become one flesh as this relationship unfolds as, as they come together. So this is really a great picture of how a person transitions from healthy singleness to a healthy and passionate marriage, right? This is a great model for us to look at. It's, it's God's image of, of what a healthy marriage looks like. And so we'll revisit it a little bit later. But I want to look at another passage, Ephesians chapter 5, if you, want to, if you have a Bible, Bible app, Ephesians 5, 25 to 33. This passage is really commonly used in re- talking about husbands and wives and kind of their interaction but more than that, it's, it's a really fascinating passage because it talks about Christ's relationship, the, the relationship we have with Jesus Christ and his love for us. And as Paul kind of unfolds as he's speaking in this text, it very much sounds like he's talking to a husband and wife, and he is, but then he kind of comes on the back end and he says, but I'm talking about Jesus and his church. So it's, it's almost confusing in the sense, you're, wait, are we talking about marriage? Or are we talking about Jesus and the church? And Jesus's, or the, Paul's response to that would be, yes. <laughs> Either or, no, both. We're talking about both. Ephesians 5, 25 to 33 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife should, uh, his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So this, this portion that I read comes on the tail end of him also addressing the issue of submission and, and the way that husbands inter, or wives interact with their husbands and vice versa, a mutual submission to one another as well as husbands submitting or wives submitting to their husbands. And so this, this interaction that he addresses, he, he goes back and forth and he's saying, well, husbands, love your wife and cleanse her just as Jesus loves his church, his, his body. 
And then at the end, uh, he, he comes to this point and he says, verse uh, 32, this, is a prof- this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, there's this interplay between Christ loving his church and the husband loving his wife. And the way that they interact with one another, they are a sign. They are a demonstration of God's love for his body, for his people. It is a witness. It is a gospel witness for how God loves us. Now, this is a little bit different than oftentimes we think about marriage. We, again, we think of it as just a relationship that's now been exchange of vows, and now we're going to live together, and we're going to work it out and make a life together, and we're going to possibly have kids and, and kind of go, go, go through life together. But, but Paul's identifying there is a real gospel witness in the union between a man and a woman that models, exemplifies Christ's love for his people. And to the degree that we live that out, we model the very thing that Jesus does for his body, his people, is the way that people would see that in a marriage and turn their eyes towards Christ and see something that is very unique from any other union that they might see. So there is a submission to the loving authority of Jesus that's born out of his sacrificial love that creates a union where she, the church, is made radiant and whole through his love. And her response to that is then to surrender herself all the more. You see that in this kind of give, give and take. The reason that I, as a follower of Jesus, you, when we worship, one of the reasons it comes so natural and so easy to, to just give our whole heart to the Lord, just in worship and Lord, whatever you want as a follower of Jesus, just to completely surrender. And, and we sing songs about that all the time, right? Lord, I, I surrender to you. In fact, the, another hymn, I surrender all. Right? The reason we find that we find ourselves able to do that is because Jesus so wonderfully, beautifully sacrificed himself. Gave everything he had, everything he was at the cross, laid himself down, and he continues to be very present and, and, and giving of himself to his church, to his body, meeting us right where we're at and speaking to us out of Scripture, speaking to us through the Holy Spirit, being very present with us. And in that kind of love relationship where you think, well, if he's not going to withhold himself for me, if Jesus will lay down his life for me, this is the safest relationship I could possibly be in. He has not withheld anything from me. He has completely given himself for me. And so how safe it is to be able to say, Lord, then I give you my life. That's the response every believer comes to. They, they encounter Jesus Christ and they say, who has ever done anything like this for me before? Who has ever loved me the way that Jesus has shown love to me? And the natural response is, I, Lord, I give you myself in response back to that. I, hold, I withhold nothing, but I just want to love you with my whole life. So Paul talking to the church in, in Ephesus, he says, what you're seeing there is a picture of Jesus and his church, but it should also be the picture of a man and a woman joined together in the union of marriage. That as he gives himself, 
lays down his life sacrificially loving her, completely not withholding anything, but completely looking out for her best interest and loving her in a way that just causes her to be radiant and just full of life and feel that she can just flourish in that. It's the safest love possible. Then you see a a woman in response to that, and Jesus says, this is my church. Then she comes back to me just completely and surrendered and and just living in the fullness of that love, feeling safe. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that a beautiful picture of a give and take of love and submission and and just sacrifice that's given? And, And so this is what Paul says as he talks about his church. But this isn't really just a human interaction. This is a witness of Christ and his love to the world around us. But there's limits. This is where I am challenged. This is where we tend to be challenged is that when we enter into, if we enter into a covenant of marriage, there's limits that come around our life. And and, and this is where the challenge comes. But if we don't recognize those limits, then the love doesn't reflect what it's the way that it's supposed to. So in marriage, my limitation is that I am a witness for God's passionate love when I give myself exclusively to my spouse in the way that Jesus gives himself to me. I want to leave that up for just a moment so you can see it. My limitation is that I am a witness for God's passionate love when I give myself exclusively to my spouse the way Jesus gives himself to me. You might say, well, how's that a limit? <laughs> that sounds, sounds easy enough, right? But we... We, I continually move outside of these limits. I continually do things that don't show exclusivity and the passionate love that Christ has for the church. I don't reflect that oftentimes in my marriage because I don't recognize the limits that I have. We can do damage to ourselves in the relationships that we have when we present something less than this type of exclusive love to our spouse. Throughout the New Testament, Paul, when he's giving identifiers of how do you pick out a good leader from among the congregation? How do you identify somebody? He continually points back to the marriage relationship, the family relationship, and says, how is this individual doing in this most important relationship in their life? Then you'll know their gifting. Then you'll know their qualifications for a leadership role. In our culture, oftentimes we focus on gifting in terms of talent. How talented are they? How much do they know? What are they capable of doing? What's their experience? What have they done in the past? And then as long as the family's okay, we'll give them a pass, even if there's a few things that aren't going that great. Because, boy, the talent that that person has, the gifting that they have, let's Bring them up front and center. Let's give them opportunity. Let's give them platform. But what Paul recognizes, and I think broader scripture says, is look at their primary relationship first. Look at their relationship with Jesus. Look at their marriage and look at their relationship to their family members. Now, again, this isn't a point, right, of accusation, condemnation. 
Let's not go to that point. It is an indicator that Paul is saying that out of those relationships, you can see if this individual was capable of helping those relationships and those people flourish, if they were sacrificial in their love, if they loved the way that Christ loved so that the people around them could grow and disciple and, be, and flourish in their life, or whether only the individual themselves as a leader flourished. Only they were elevated so that people could say, wow, look how gifted they are. But the others around them, their closest relationship shrunk back or were uh, experienced loss because of their role. So here are some unhealthy approaches to marriage that if you're married in practices, you'll end up doing damage to your marriage and your witness for Christ. Let me start with one that I'm really familiar with. Jerry and I have spoken with this multiple times because we tried this approach. I call it divide and conquer. (laughs) Divide and conquer. You'll find so many young families and young couples that take on this approach is that you get into a marriage and one of the things that you tend to think of is that Okay, there's, uh, especially if we have kids, there's so much to do. Let's just split up. You cover these things, I'll cover these things, right? There's now, let's see, instead of me having to do finances, you can do finances and I'll cover this. And we just start dividing out all these roles to cover all of our bases. And we're just going to be able to multiply our efforts. In fact, You hear it in the church a lot as well. It's like, well, if I could do something good for Christ, imagine if I was married and then I could double my efforts and we could really serve the Lord that much better because there's going to be more time for, uh, for accomplishing what we want to see happen. Instead of recognizing that your spouse needs a significant amount of time, the thought is great. We can divide up things and we can really just keep things going. I can keep the same pace that I did as a single. You can keep the same pace you did as a single. And we'll both just motor through life and we'll divide up the responsibilities. And boy, think of the things that we can get done. You can reach the pinnacle of your career. I can reach the pinnacle of my career or what I want to see happen around the home. We can, we can really get things accomplished in our lives because now there's two of us instead of just one of us on our own. Rent alone is going to be more affordable. I mean, I mean, let's let's just start there, right? It's we divide up, and we can we can go there. Divide and divide and conquer. Likely to be effective at dividing and getting a lot done, but the question is that when they come back together, what will that look like? After they've divided, what does it look like when you've been apart? Conquering all of these things and not investing and nurturing your relationship, not sacrificially loving one another. When the dream job is obtained, what was sacrificed in intimacy? When the kids are raised, is there still a marriage or was it all given to the kids? When the retirement account is full enough to live comfortably, is there enough relationship to hold on to? How many things... Do we often just divide and conquer? I'm going to work on this. You work on that. Boy, our Jerry's and my testimony was so much like that. And, and we started off and we were doing it for the Lord. We were doing it for God. We were going to church plant. And, and in order to keep afloat, she was going to work her job. And I was going to get a part-time job. And we were going to church plant. And we were raising two young boys uh, under the age of 10, you know, trying to bring our family up. And at the same time, meet the needs of a, a young church and be present for the people of our congregation at that time. 
do you know what we didn't leave time for? One another. <laughs> we, we left no time for one another. We, we had this idea of a low-maintenance marriage. You make sure that you don't do anything that messes up our relationship. I'll do my part to make sure nothing messes up our relationship. And that way we'll be low-maintenance for each other. And that way we can just kind of get the things done that we need to. I, I don't probably need to tell you the end result, but that didn't work. <laughs> we, we ended up in a crisis situation. because You know why? Because marriage is not a low-maintenance relationship. In fact, marriage is your most high-maintenance relationship you will ever get into. Not because your spouse is needy, but because you need to attend to them. Let me say it again. It's most demanding relationship you enter into, not because your spouse is needy, but because you need to attend to them. On a regular basis, you need to give of your time and attention and your sacrificial love to the individual with whom you are joined in union with. How can you or I become one with a spouse with whom we don't share time, we don't share attention, we don't share our life with? So this idea of divide and conquer, it doesn't hold up. But it's such a common mistake. It's, it's one that I've made. I mean, I get it. There's so many demands. You just feel like the last thing, you know, last thing we have time for is each other. No, no, no. The most important thing, if your marriage is going to be a gospel witness, it goes right behind your relationship with Christ and it's elevated right up there with it. You worship Christ together. You serve Christ together. You pour into one another's life as you love and, and serve Jesus Christ. The next one mistake that often happens is this, it goes invisible. And what I mean by that is, uh, one, of, uh, one member of the marriage completely gives themselves to the other in a way that they disappear. They lose themselves. They no longer exist because they only exist for the needs of the husband or the wife. And, and that's not a healthy relationship either. That's not what God called it to. Remember, you will leave your family of origin, you will unite, and you'll become one. You become one not by the diminishing of one and one takes precedence, but the union of two that become a new one in Christ. And, and so the invisibility is when a husband or wife becomes too big and too important that I can no longer honest, be honest and true expression of myself. I completely lose myself so that I can bend myself to become who he or she wants me to be. So instead of becoming a new one in Christ, we became a new him. We became a new her instead of a new us, one together. I've seen this happen before. In fact, somebody I knew, he, he was so delighted in himself. He said, he said uh, you know, before we got married, she used to love all these frilly movies, these you know shows that um, romance and romance comedies and uh, you know, I couldn't stand it. I would tolerate it. just couldn't go through. But, but he goes, you know, after, after 10 years of marriage, I've done it. She no longer wants to watch those. She just wants to watch action movies and sci-fi. That's all that she wants. And he's like, I win, I win. And I thought, yeah, you won. You got another one of you. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> She lost all sense of what she wanted and conformed to what, what you wanted. 
You've made your wife disappear. This happens. This happens in marriage relationships. When we elevate, when our spouse becomes too great that I have to protect myself, I have to become everything that they want, otherwise I'm not acceptable and I no longer can be who I am. No, in a, in a healthy marriage relationship, you both bring yourself, your true self, who Christ has called you to be and who you're becoming in Jesus Christ. And the things that she loves becomes the things that sharpen and change you. And the things that you love are things that sharpen and change her. And you become somebody different than you were when you entered the relationship. A, a new person that's a witness to, to the world around you that that no, I'm not holding on to just my stuff and they're not holding on to their stuff. We're, we're sacrificially loving each other and coming in together. Here's one more, uh, cohabitating. So this is when you're married, but you still live as though you have two separate lives. It sounds like divide and conquer, but it's actually more extreme than that. Finances are separate. Schedules are separate. Uh, just things that we want to do. Hobbies are always kept separate. It's, uh, again, similar, but instead of just accomplishing more, it's you're preserving your own life in this union so that you don't lose the things that you love the most. You're not willing to give up an inch because you're going to preserve your life and they're going to preserve their life. And so it's essentially the same as cohabitating. Yes, you've gone through vows. Yes, you've gone through a marriage ceremony. You've said, I do. You may share the same last name, but essentially you're just sharing space. And so the real danger in this is, is that these relationships, they end or they get so diminished because it no longer reflects what the desired outcome of marriage was to be, which again was to create a new, unite and become a new individual, a new household in Christ. This can also happen, I want to highlight this, you can, this can also happen where there's this cohabitating. If we fail to drop or let go of some relationships that we've had when we were single, we want to keep the same attention and time given to certain relationships, and we don't realize that those relationships in many cases have to diminish or significantly change in order for you to be able to give the time and attention that's needed to your spouse. A sacrifice that's made it. At, at that point. See, that's why I say there's limitations in a marriage relationship. You can't just continue to live as though you did in before and keep the same uh, hours and friendships and relationships all just like it was before and then come into a marriage relationship and expect that, that union to really flourish and model the love that Christ has for his church. Some of that time that you gave to your buddies, time that you gave to your girlfriends, it doesn't get to be exactly the same because you have a primary relationship. Does that mean that you lose all sense again of yourself and you don't have? No, it doesn't mean that you don't have other relationships. It means they change. Your primary relationship changes. Your focus changes. And when you don't drop those relationships, you communicate to your spouse and others that you're living without limits. I don't have any limits. Nothing's changed. I've taken vows, but I'm still myself and living life on my terms. And that's just not reality. That's not the reality that Christ calls us to in a, a Christian marriage. He calls us to live as Christ laid down his life for his church, his body. So too, husbands, lay down your life for your wife, your spouse, 
And that response of just allowing that relationship to flourish as we give ourselves to that. So the passionate Christian marriage testifies about God's love because the husband and wife know one another in a way that nobody else does. The passionate Christian marriage testifies about God's love because the husband and wife know one another in a way that nobody else does. I remember uh, when, I've shared a little bit of this before, but my my, uh, son Ethan got his first Bible that wasn't a kid's Bible that you kind of thumb through, and so he's going through the Old Testament, and he comes across the one where, um, and uh, it, it said that, you know, they had relations with one another. They knew, you know, he knew her, that type of thing. Scripture uses sometimes the places where I'm going with that story is we told him, just keep reading. Just <laughs> go past that and just, just, just keep going. You know, he was five or six at the time. And yeah, we, we didn't want to explain it at that point. Are you reading your Bible again? Skip forward to something else. I don't know. Um, I love that Scripture uses the word that the, to, to know him or to know her, right? When it talks about intimacy. A passionate Christian, Christian marriage testifies about God's love because the husband and wife know one another in a way that nobody else does. That's powerful. It's a, it's a knowledge. It's an, an understanding. It's a shared life in a way that nobody else knows that individual. This is the type of love we receive from Jesus, right? This is the type of love that Jesus brings to us. Nobody knows you the way that Jesus Christ knows you. And that includes, if you're married, that includes your spouse. Your spouse doesn't know you the same way that Jesus Christ knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. <laughs> so it's that type of relationship. That's, that's what we're moving towards. That's the type of knowing that a, a marriage relationship is moving towards that oneness that says the reason it's a gospel witness is because we're moving towards that type of knowing another individual the way that only God knows us, an intimacy and a closeness that is a picture of Christ's love for us, that we are so known and loved even though we're known. That's part of the power in it all in itself, isn't it? That Jesus Christ knows you so well, but loves you so sacrificially and withholds nothing from you. I've put myself in thinking about how would I love me if I was the Lord? (laughs) Relationship would have ended a long time ago. (laughs) But Lord, I really do love you. I'm sorry that I did this again, but I really do love you if you'll forgive me. How many times back and forth? You know what the Lord says? I love you and I'll forgive you. The sacrificial love just laying his life down. So this picture of of what a Christian marriage is supposed to do, it's supposed to demonstrate the type of love that Jesus loves his people with. You and I will spend a lifetime. If you're married, you'll spend the entirety of your marriage working towards demonstrating that type of love. And you won't quite get there, but that's okay. Okay because you'll both experience it. Everyone will experience it in the presence of Jesus. When you are known 
and you know both the same. You will know the Lord completely and you will feel known by Him and there won't be any walls or divisions. It'll be such intimacy that there's absolutely nothing, no type of division that you would ever experience. That's such a beautiful picture of the love that God gives to us. Have you, when, when you're a teenager, those are the times in your young years, how many times did you say, nobody understands me, <laughs> right? Life is so complicated and my life is in turmoil. Nobody understands me. How many times you've gotten older, going through something, I think nobody understands me. The Lord understands you. He knows exactly where you're at and what you're feeling and what you're going through. How many times when you're married and you're having a conversation and and you're trying to explain something and you want to be heard by your spouse and you just think, he just doesn't get it. You're saying, she she doesn't even know what I'm talking about. We're not even on the same page and I don't know how to make her understand. I don't know how to make him hear me. And there are times where Jerry and I have been at that and we've worked so hard and we, we've spent the early years of our marriage, we spent the first, at least the first five years of our marriage consistently in marriage books, marriage seminars. We have sown so much into our relationship that over the years, it's made it so much easier when we get into conflict and being able to talk through things. But there are times where we will get to a point and we're just like, I I don't know, I can't make you understand. And she'll say, I, I don't know what you're trying to say and vice versa. She's like, you're, you're totally misunderstanding me. And there is this silence that fills the room between us. There is this void. I don't know, married couples, if you can go there. But there is this void between us, this gap. And it's like, I, I don't know anything else I can say. And she's the same. I don't, I don't have anything else I can say or explain. And in that space, it's this longing to be known. It's this longing to be heard, to be understood. And so in those places, what we've experienced is we do our best to just ask the Lord to help us bridge what we don't know about each other. God, there's a space between us. We want to be one. We want to be growing together, but... We still just aren't there. And I don't know my wife the way that you know her. And I don't feel known by her and vice versa. We're, we're in this space. But Lord, you know us both. And in this pain, this sense of, I don't know this person that I've spent so many years with. Can you help bridge that, bridge that gap? Listen, this is the pattern that Christ has laid down for us is a sacrificial love, giving himself entirely. But we still have this longing. You should always have this longing, whether you're married or single, that's the same cry. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Lord, come soon. Because I I want to experience life the way that it's intended to be lived. And on this earth, with this mind and, and the way that I'm able to communicate, I have limits and I just can't get there. So come quickly, Lord. But in the meantime... I'm going to do my best to love the way that you've called me to. So if you're married, here's the pattern again. You're going to leave that family of origin. You're going to unite or hold fast to this new family that you're creating together. 
And you're going to become one flesh. You've got this mission of becoming one together. And it, it may take, and it will take, a lifetime to do. But that's the process. And through that becoming, you are testifying to the world around you the great love of God that he is sacrificial and lays down his life. And there is an exclusivity to his love for you. That doesn't mean he doesn't love others, but he doesn't love anybody else the way he loves you. That's hard for us to fathom. Millions of people around the world. God loves every... We tend to get that right. We get that part. We understand that theologically. God loves the whole world, yes. But he doesn't love anybody the same as the way he loves you. An exclusive relationship that he has with you because he knows you intimately and how you receive and give love. He will connect with you on that level unlike any other. And so that union that you have with Christ, then you have in a marriage relationship, not perfect, but growing. It is to be that demonstration of an exclusive relationship that demonstrates the passionate love of God. Instead of everything being basically the same, I leave my family of origin, my old habits, my familiar life, so that I can hold fast and become a new family together. I am becoming someone new that reflects not only the family I grew up in, it reflects who I'm becoming in Christ, it reflects my spouse's influence upon my life, and so that we can bless others through the love that Christ is giving to us. And instead of divide and conquer, we unite and multiply. (laughs) Instead of dividing out to conquer our own goals and objectives, we unite and multiply this love that Christ, and it comes out of our life. And it's through that love and that marriage covenant that we bless others. So it's this type of Christian marriage that is a gospel witness, that when people see it, and I missed it for so long, like when I would come to worship, I felt like I'm there to worship and Jerry's there to worship. And if I was holding her hand, I felt like, okay, it's worship time, drop her hand and now worship. It's just me and God. And after we went through a crisis and we received counseling and we started looking at marriage and how do we do this in a healthy way and instead of divide and conquer, how do we just help each other thrive in our discipleship? I found myself being able to say, oh, we're, we're worshiping together. We're loving together. Now, that's not like, you know, you know, yeah, something awkward. You know, it's not uncomfortable, but it's, it's this union together, right? It's this worship. We're, it's not me and Jesus, you and Jesus. It's us together in, in loving Christ. So let me present this. What if my husband or wife doesn't share this view? What if my husband or wife doesn't share this? Like, I want to serve Jesus and I want to love sacrificially, but, um, but he's not in that same mindset or she's not kind of viewing it that way. Well, here's, here's the thing about a marriage relationship is that your first gospel witness is to him or to her. And so that you model that, you still demonstrate sacrificial love, a the type of love that Jesus loves to you, you have this exclusive love for this individual. And apart from having to share scripture and tell him or her what he or she should be doing, instead you live out this gospel witness before him or her. 
And then you make it enticing. You make them feel so loved by God through you that they just want that more and more. They just want to experience that for themselves. So if they don't share that same view with you, that, that's difficult. That's a really hard thing. But, but that's the calling through which God has led you to at this point. And so now you get to be the greatest gospel witness for your spouse that they'll see just for your day-to-day life of living, living this out. You enter into it by faith, trusting that in time, your sacrificial love will have a transformational effect on your spouse who is not taking the same approach. What if I'm single? Well, next week we'll talk more about passionate singleness, but I hope that in seeing this, you see the love of Christ for you. That is this intimate, exclusive relationship where he is fixated on you and his love for you is so unique. It's unlike any other love. And out of your life as a single who is living passionately for Christ, you have a different calling by where you will testify about the love of Christ to many fruitful relationships, just as Jesus did. And so we'll look at that next week. Would you join me in standing, though, as, as we close? The worship team is going to come up, and we want to have our response time. And let me begin by saying that if you're here this morning, and I was talking about a passionate relationship to know Jesus Christ, to engage and and to be known by him. And, and if I was talking about that and you were saying, yeah, I, I don't know that I have a relationship with God like that. In fact, I, I'm, I'm here and I'm just kind of checking out, you know, what Christianity is about, what this church is about. Um, I want to encourage you today to make a decision. That first part of following that I talked about is to, is to say yes to Jesus Christ. And you can do that this morning. Or if you did that years ago and today's the day, you just, you say, man, I've been living away from Christ and living my own life. And today's the day you want to rededicate your life for Jesus. I want to say yes and amen to that. You're making a good decision because the Lord loves you so much. He loves you personally and he loves you intimately. And he wants you to know him also, not to feel distant, but to feel close to him. And you can do that this morning. Uh, I want to encourage you when we start our response time, you can go back to our prayer team. They're right in the back and they have a resource called Following Jesus. And if you just step back there, they will pray with you and you just say, you know what? I want to enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ today. They will pray with you and agree with you for those next steps to, to become a disciple. And then they'll give you this resource so that you can start your walk in following Jesus. If you are here this morning and, and you're married and you, you kind of look at, listen to the different things that I talked about. And you said, you know, we, we fall under this divide and conquer. We get a lot done, but we just feel distant and apart from each other. You know, the response time would be a great time for you just to say, Lord, in this place, for as much as it depends on me, I, I want to recognize my limits and that maybe I, I'm not going to get as much done, but boy, I'm going to sow into my marriage so much more time and love that it's going to be the witness that it's intended to be. Maybe you've been on that point where you're the one that feels like, I've just been a ghost in our marriage. I've I've been non-existent. I gave up everything and now I don't even feel like I exist in this relationship. And this morning, the Lord's just encouraging you, you come into the light. Just be seeing. I see you. And I want you to be seen. And and maybe it's the steps that you need to start taking 
with your spouse that allows you to grow together as a partnership instead of becoming invisible. And the other one is that, that maybe you're both just so divided. You've lived from the point you even got married. You, everything was separate and you've gotten uh, through life, but, but you just don't feel like you know each other. And today you're just saying, I, I want the marriage that I'm in to be a gospel witness. I want to be the sacrificial love that testifies of Christ's love for his church and his love for me. And so today's a great day just to bring yourself Again, what do I do about my spouse? What if they're not in the same place? You know what? You, you start with you. You start with yourself and saying, this is where I'm at. And then if, if you need to, if there's opportunity, maybe it requires meeting with another couple. Maybe it requires going to a marriage counselor to, to find a way forward that would be more healthy for you together. But the first part is just the recognition saying, Lord, this is what I want. I want to see this happen. If you're single this morning and you say, wow, this whole service is about marriage. I I hope that you hear the love of Jesus for you that's to be demonstrated through an exclusive marriage covenant with another individual. And that it demonstrates for you, it shows you the great love of God and how he has that for you. So Lord, as we come in our response time, we bring you ourself. That's, That's what we have. We don't have great gifting and great influence and great power, Lord, for things that will move you one way or the other. What we have is ourself. And to our amazement, to our, to our wonder, that's what you want most is, is, our, is who we are. To be so enticed by your sacrificial love drawn in that we drop down our own walls and our defenses and we just give you ourself completely. So now we respond to you, Lord. And Holy Spirit, as you're just speaking throughout the room and different individuals of where they're at, some, you're giving hope, possibility of restoration of a marriage that is crippled and it is really feeling at a deficit. But Lord, you're giving hope that there can be a new start. Lord, for those who, whose marriage ended in divorce, Lord, and you're removing the shame and you're helping them to see where some things were wrong and And didn't go, but Lord, you're also replacing that with your love of affirmation and your presence and the healing power that you have to restore our hearts. So God, we give you this response time, our worship to you as we draw close. Amen.